Mark chapter 10, 23 to 31. As we read, remember this is God's Word. Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at His words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, it's good to be back on Hill Street this evening after being in Green Island this morning. There's, quite, there's no place quite like home, so it's good to be back. And if you have your Bibles, please do open them with me to Mark chapter 10 as we will look at this passage and one other passage as we think about this question, being human and enjoying relationship. As Nigel said, I was raring to go the last time, and then at the last minute we had to postpone, but we're glad that we can look at this big question this evening. What does it mean to be a human and to enjoy relationship? Well, growing up, I was an only child, but I loved to get out, and I still am an only child, but I loved to get out with my mom visiting, and mom would take us out often every week to visit some of our family. And we would go to my auntie's houses, and we would spend lots of time with all of my cousins, and it was great. And I loved the summer in particular, because in the summer, that meant that some of my cousins could come and stay over. And so I remember distinctly one summer, one of my cousins was able to come, and he stayed at our house for almost a week. And we built this little fort in the trees at the side of our house. We ran about the orchard. We played in the river. It was just a a class, a class week. But at the end of that week, he had to go home. And I remember being in bed. And I remember getting really upset. And started to cry. And I had to come up to mom and dad. And mom and dad asked me, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? And I said, well, I just, I wonder what my cousin's doing now. What what do you think he's doing now? I, I really miss him. And mum and dad gave me a glass of milk and a digestive because that fixes everything and explained to me that he was okay and that we had had a good time together and we had to be thankful for those times and I just missed him. There's something in my heart that I, I really missed him and that experience has stayed with me ever since, wondering what, what was he doing? And you see, as human beings, we are made for relationship. There's something within each of us that we, we desire relationship one with the other. We, we want to be in community. We want to be in company one with the other. And whenever that's stripped away from us, whenever it's taken away from us, whenever we get ourselves isolated like we have experienced over the last couple of years, it feels wrong. There's something about it that doesn't sit easy with us. And so as we look at this topic tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to trace the origin of this desire for relationship. And then we're going to look at our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. 
So if you were expecting tonight to be all about dating, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's not going to be about that. If you want to speak about dating, speak to Nigel at the end. He'll give you all the advice that you need over tea and coffee. This is about the broad subject of relationship. So the desire for, for relationship, where does this come from? Where does this yearning come from inside of us? Well, from the earliest age, children want to be accepted. They want to be in the in-group. We enjoy family gatherings, don't we? Even if we sit quietly or if we are the life and soul of the party, we enjoy the family gathering. The introvert and the extrovert both flourish in relationship to other people. We hate it when we're not connected. We hate it when we're out of the loop. We hate it whenever someone in our class or in our friend group or our office or our family talk about something that we have no clue what they're talking about. It's like we've missed out on something. And we have great social anxiety because of WhatsApp that we're afraid of being left out of WhatsApp groups or Facebook groups or whatever it may be. We want to be on the inside. And Facebook understands this. They've made a a billion-dollar industry out of this. And here's what Facebook uh, led with after they hit their billionth user. It'll come up on the screen for us. Doorbells, airplanes, bridges. These are things people use to get together so they can open up and connect about ideas and music and other things that people share. The universe, it is vast and dark, and it makes us wonder if we are alone. So maybe the reason we make all of these things is to remind us that we are not. That was Facebook's uh, celebration of their one billionth user. And do we see the very start? Doorbells, airplanes, bridges, what are we doing? We create things to connect us. And they've made an industry out of it. And so there's something within every human that drives us to other people. This desire to be part of something bigger, to connect to something beyond ourselves. And so we all love going to the the sporting event or the, the music concert, don't we? In that moment with hundreds or thousands of people, we're caught up in the ecstasy of what's going on before us. Maybe we're singing the song, we're we're cheering along with our team. We love it. But once the concert ends or the match finishes, we, we file back out through the turnstiles and we recoil back into our shells and we become isolated. We had this taste of something incredible, this union with hundreds and thousands of people, this energy and power but then it vanishes, and we're left feeling more isolated than ever. So the question for us is, why? Why do we have this inside of ourselves? Why do we desire this connectivity to be with other people? And for the answer, we're going to have to go back to Genesis. So that's the other passage this evening. Come with me to Genesis chapter 1. Do we see this? Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to see why we have this desire this desire to be in relationship with other people, to be part of a community. In Genesis, we see three things, three aspects of this belonging, this desire. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, what does God do? God, we're created by God, and therefore, what, what is the result of that creation? We long for a connection to our Creator. So that's the first point of connection. Then Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we're created from the ground, and therefore we have an affinity with the world that we're part of. And then Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, 
then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone, so I will make a helper for him. So connected to the Lord, connected to the ground, connected to each other. And so we're created in his image, and therefore each of us share something with one another. And that's what this desire is. We have been made and designed for relationship, the perfect relationship that was once there in the garden. We're designed for community, to belong to and belong with others. So Dan Strange has written a book called Making Faith Magnetic, and Dan Strange says this. He says, being alone is not our natural state, and it is not good for us. We're made to be, he says, in relationship with God, and then all of our other relationships flow from that. And so it's in our DNA. It has been weaved into our DNA that we all long for community, to belong, to have companionship, friendship, intimacy, primarily to God, and then to each other. But here's the problem. The problem is that this desire is easily corrupted, isn't it? We want to belong to a group. We want to be accepted. We want to have this one person, but that can take us down dangerous paths. We start to compromise on the truth. We hold or we start to fold on our morals because we want to be part of this group or to have this person. We want to go with the crowd. We want to fit in. We do things that we wouldn't normally do. Why? To be accepted and to be loved. And so this, this, this distorts this natural desire that we have, this, this sinful desire that comes and, and starts to rub up against us to pull us in all different directions and take us out of the design that God had made for us to be part of His people, to belong to a church community. And so we start to search for this in lots of other places. We look for community in other places. We look for belonging in other places. We look for credit and love from other people. And it takes us down dark paths. It happened in Genesis chapter 11, whenever the people rebel and they build the Tower of Babel. But God promises that He will one day restore this. Because what lies ahead of us? The garden city. So the garden will be restored at one again with nature, but also the city will be built so that we are at one with one another as God's people. So that's the origins. We've traced the origins back into Genesis. This is why we have this desire deep inside of ourselves. Now we need to find the, the destination of this desire. The destination is Jesus Christ. The destination is Him and Him alone. This destination of finding a restored relationship in Jesus. Because that's what the whole Bible is really about, isn't it? This broken relationship from Genesis has to be restored between man and God. It has to be bridged again. And so they're, they're waiting for the one who's going to come and do that. Is this the king? Is this the prophet that we hear about? Is this the priest that we need? All the way through the Old Testament until Jesus arrives to restore this relationship between man and God. And so we were created for this. But what does sin do? Well, just like those threefold connections, there's also a threefold consequence to sin. What does it do? It breaks the relationship with God. It destroys the relationship that we have with one another. Man and woman in the garden fall out. And sin then ruptures the relationship that we have with the world, with the earth that we're on. And so humanity has been searching for this answer ever since. How does the Bible phrase it? We are like lost sheep wandering around, trying to find the answers. 
And so tonight, as we think about relationship, we have to look to Jesus. We can't look for this fulfillment in any other place. Nothing else will satisfy us. This longing deep inside of ourselves will not be fulfilled by anyone else or anything else. If you pin your hopes on people, they will let you down. If you pin your hopes on a club or a society, they will let you down. And so we turn our eyes towards Jesus, the one who comes from heaven to do what? To restore this relationship for us. And so he comes to bring us into relationship with the Father and with himself. It's that doctrine that we talk about again and again here at Hill Street, union to Christ. Jesus comes, and He unites us to Himself. He takes us to Himself so that the Father will accept us. And as I was thinking about tonight, I was preparing for it, isn't that why the the story of the prodigal son has so much traction with us? This relational element of the, the strange son and then the father embracing him again and taking him back into his family. And for us here as Christians, if you are a Christian tonight, this experience of the gospel, to know that we have now got a father and brothers and sisters, that our elder brother Jesus has been sent to rescue us, does something in our heart, doesn't it? It brings us joy. It means that we want to be in this room week after week, morning and evening. We want to gather together as a church family because of what Jesus has done. And so it'll come up on the screen for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. What does the Lord say? I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Or again in Mark chapter 3 and 35, for whoever does the will of God, Jesus says, he is my brother and sister. See, the relational element of the gospel it's not just a saving from sin. It's, it's nothing less than that. But you've been saved from your sin and brought into something great, into a family, into a relationship with one another. Now, the problem is that often in our church experience, that's not what we are used to. We think that as we come to church, as we, as we worship here, that it's this isolated event. Somehow this crept into the church, that, that we come along and we sit isolated from everyone else. There's no expectation that we would talk to one another. There's even no expectation that we would know each other's names. And so you could bump into someone in the doctors or in the physio and get a conversation going between them and say, well, where do you go to church? Well, I go to Hill Street. You go to Hill Street. I go to Hill Street. Well, I've, I've never had a chat with you. I've never seen you. Oh, you must sit in the balcony or I sit down the front and we never see each other. We always pass each other. Why has that become a thing in church? God's people were never meant to have that experience. As we've been working our way through Acts, hasn't it been incredible to see the, the intimacy of that early church as they meet together for prayer and for the breaking of bread and fellowship? And so what we need to know as we come into the Christian faith, as we are converted by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we don't come into this faith to be alone. We come to belong to one another, part of God's family, part of the body, all one members. And, and so we are not alone. This is the, the single most important truth that we need to know tonight about the truth of the gospel and how it applies to our lives. You are not alone. 
And you're not isolated, but that you are in relationship with your church family and the global church family and the church militant here on earth and the church triumphant in glory. And then one day you'll stand in that great congregation of the righteous. Now, here's another problem. If we are saying tonight that relationship is so important that it's something that God has, has brought right into our very DNA and design right from the beginning, this desire to belong, well, if we, if we highlight that, if we show that it's something that we've been designed and wired for, then we're saying that it's really quite, quite powerful and it's an incredible experience. So, imagine this. Imagine you meet up for coffee with someone, perhaps someone who is in a same-sex relationship, or perhaps it's a Christian and they're dating a non-Christian or you're meeting up for coffee with this person and they're part of a gang, or perhaps it's someone who's cheating on their partner. And they say this, following Jesus, being obedient to Jesus, why would I do that? Why would I do that? This relationship that I'm in, it is the best thing that I've ever experienced. Why would I give it up? Surely I'm experiencing what God has designed for me and it is good. Why would I leave that? Well, at that moment, you might think to yourself, is that the time I need to leave? I'm going to pass that on to Nigel or one of the elders or to myself. I have no idea how to answer that question. And you think, how did I get myself into this situation? But in that moment, in that moment, where do we need to run to? If someone says, look, this is my experience and my experience is good because there's an element of, of it that we've been designed for. Where do we need to go? We need to go to the passage that Nigel read for us. So please come with me to Mark chapter 10. Because in this, we, we have a whole framework for understanding relationships and the cost of relationships and the cost of following Jesus. Look at verse 17. We have this encounter with the, the rich young man, and he runs up to Jesus. He's keen to follow Jesus, and Jesus penetrates right to his heart, and he says, leave all of your money. Give it up. Sell it. And it's too much. He goes away from Jesus disappointed. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then we, we fold down into our, our verse, what, into our verses. What happens then is, is Peter, oh, it's always Peter, Peter chirps up, and he says, look, Look, Jesus, he won't leave stuff, but look at all that we have left. We have left everything for you, so surely we will get a reward. And verse 29 comes, truly I say to you, whenever you hear that in Scripture, truly I say to you, it's like Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, let me stop you right there. And Jesus goes on to explain what? To come and to follow him will always have a cost. There will always be a cost. And he goes on to explain that the costliest thing that we'll have to give up to follow him will be our relationships. So what does the cost look like? In practical terms, it's meaning that someone who has fallen in love with someone else saying no to that person because it's not appropriate within the guidelines of the Bible that we were thinking about last week in our foundation series. Maybe the cost is denying someone a sexual or a, an emotional pleasure that they're desiring. For some, it will mean leaving the people that you call your people. 
For some, it will mean walking away from a relationship prospect that in the worldly terms seems good. For others, the cost will be being kicked out by their family. A little while ago, we had uh, uh, Phil Dunn from EMF, and Phil was telling us about a guy called Antonio who was kicked out from his family for two years for becoming a Christian. Or for some, it will mean being put out of their village, out of their town, out of their entire community. And so your response to me tonight might be, well, John, that sounds awful. If this is the cost to follow Jesus, I have to give up all of these things. I don't want to do that. God has designed us for a relationship, to belong, to be in a community. Why am I going to have to give that up? Well, Jesus doesn't just say to us tonight, you've got to suck it up. You've got to live your life like a monk now. Keep calm. Keep going until you get the glory. Instead, what does he say? Well, look at verses 29 through to verse 30. And I think I've always read this wrong. I've always assumed that this was in a a future tense, but that's to read this passage wrong. Look at it. Look at verse 30. Who will not receive a hundredfold now, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life? See the distinction? The now and the yet to come. Now you will inherit all of these things. You will inherit community, people, friends, family, and in the world to come, you'll inherit eternal life. And so Jesus promises relationship right now for those who trust and follow Him. Deep friendship, deep relationship, brothers and sisters and mothers and children. And so we must not reduce the gospel down to just what we're saved from, but instead we must think about what we're saved into. And so this is a reality. If you are an orphan, if you have no parents, at church you have lots of spiritual parents. And for the single person, what is the truth? You have brothers and sisters and spiritual aunts and spiritual uncles. For the barren, what do you have at church? You have children. For the married couples, you have support. For each of us, Mark chapter 10 and verses 28 through 31 is a reality. And see if it's not a reality. If this passage tucked away right in the middle of Mark's gospel, spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ, if this is not a reality within the church community, what has happened? There's been a serious malfunction of the understanding that we have of the gospel. Serious misunderstanding. And so the call for each of us is that we come into this full relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ a relationship that is more wonderful and excellent than we could ever imagine, and that trumps all of the relationships that are laid out before us in the world, all of the things that the world points to to say that there is happiness to be found in that, ultimate happiness, ultimate satisfaction to be found there. And so the world pins up for ultimate happiness, that you must be in a, a sexual relationship, 
You know, what, what, what do we want to say as a church family? That is not the ultimate form of happiness. The ultimate form of happiness and satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ and being in relationship to Him alone, knowing His forgiveness. So, here's the question. What does it mean to be a hundredfold church? Verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time? What does that look like? So, we've thought about the origin. We've traced that We've thought about relationship to Jesus. Now we want to think about in the time that we've left, relationship to each other. The depiction of this, of how it fleshes out. What does it actually look like? How does it come to play in our lives, in this church family? A couple of things that I want us to think about here. Friendship and intimacy. Friendship and intimacy. We have collapsed intimacy into something that is reserved wholly for marriage. And yet in Scripture, intimacy is often referred to as deep friendship. And so we need to recover what biblical friendship looks like. Looks like. In Hebrew, the, the word friend really means that it's, it's kind of related to the word secret. To be a true friend means that they will know you, that they will share in your life with you. And so we see this demonstrated in Jesus' life, don't we? His deep, intimate friendships. He had his 12, and then he had his three, and then he had his one. And we see it from the very, and hear it from the very mouth of Jesus in John 15, 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And so Jesus is modeling what this friendship should look like. But in church life, what does true friendship look like? What does true friendship look like for the widow? Or for the couple? What does true friendship look like for the single person or the teen or for the child? For the person that's visiting for the first time, for the lifelong member? What does true friendship look like? Well, as we've said, being part of a church family, coming into membership in a church, should mean that you should never use the words that you feel alone. No church member should ever feel lonely if the church is being what it's supposed to be. Because God has saved us and brought us into, uh, into His body, into the body, into this bride of Christ, the church, we are to be members alongside one another. And so that's why we have been talking about at the front that we must invest into each other's lives, investing into each other's friendships, Sunday to Sunday, through the week. Like Hebrews encourages us, stirring one another up, encouraging one another, being with one another in the good and in the bad. And so, what do we want? We want our best friends to be our church friends because we invest into one another's lives. We know what's going on with each other. Here's a, a wonderful quote from Rosaria Butterfield. She talks about this. As we think about friendship and intimacy, we also want to talk about family. We talk about that a lot at Hill Street, don't we? We are a church family. Here's what she says. The blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of biology. Isn't that a lovely quote? A true quote? We have been baptized into the Lord's name. We eat at the Lord's table. We are part of His family. And so the blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of biology. We have been united to one another. 
And that means that in the church family, we are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children and parents to one another. But that requires us to let people into our lives. And so for us, asking someone to do the school run for you does not mean that you're failing as a parent. It's just asking them into your life. Or asking someone at church, look, could you, could you maybe do the shopping for us this week? Could you go and get the shopping? Not that you're going to have to pay for it. We're going to give you the money, but can you do it? We're really pushed this week for time. Or, or asking someone, look, I've got a young family. Is there any chance that you could come around and we could just have a cup of coffee and you could help me do the ironing? See, inviting people into our lives, showing people that we're, we're not failing if we're inviting people in, Inviting people to share with us in our families as one family. And so here's the challenge of Mark 10, that we as one another in this church invest in each other's lives and that we are looking out for one another, that we truly do have mothers and brothers and sisters and family here in this place. And for that to happen, for us to grow this sense of community, being in relationship one with the other, it means it requires intentionality. You cannot father or mother someone if you're just vaguely familiar. You have to go over and introduce yourself. You cannot be a brother or sister to someone if you won't let them share in your life. And so you have to be intentional. You have to be investing. You have to ask people over for a meal or ask at least for their number so you can talk to them or ring them or, or text them or ask them to go out for a coffee. And this is hard for us. It's hard for us because... We have built homes, and in our homes we have got walls and gates and hedges to keep people out. 500 years ago, it would have been a whole lot easier. We'd all lived in a little village and within a stone throw of one another, and we'd all have been able to share in each other's lives. But now we, we push everyone away from ourselves. We close the gate. We build the wall. We build the hedge. We grow the hedge. But to be part of a church community, functioning as it ought, means that we should be exhibiting and authenticating the good news of the gospel as we build relationships in this place. And so it should be attractive. Coming in to be part of our church family, experiencing what we have here Sunday after Sunday, should be the most attractive meeting in the week. That there's a deeper sense of friendship and community here than anywhere else not because we are good people, not because we have got the right methods or the right tactics, but because we're part of Christ's family. And because of what He has done in our hearts, that means that He is the center of everything that we do, the most important thing in our lives. And so we share that one with the other. Here's a, a quote from Sam Albury. He says this, he says, if in your church you have to be in a romantic relationship or married to experience love in your church, then your church stinks. Hits us on the nose, doesn't it? If in your church you have to be in a romantic relationship or married to experience love, then there's something seriously wrong with your church. Because it's not just about the message that's preached from the front, but it's the gospel doctrine and the community that come together. 
that, that give us this, this little glimpse of what is to come, this foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. And so here at Hill Street, we want our whole of our relationships to be saturated with the love of Jesus. Everything that we do, all of our conversations, each time that we meet, Sunday after Sunday for worship, each informal encounter that we have here, that the, the whole culture of our church family is saturated with the love of Jesus. And so we are physically demonstrating what the gospel has done in our hearts. We're living it out, part of one another. And so as we close, we have been made as relational people. It's woven into our very DNA. Right from Genesis, we see that. And this relationship, our, our, our desires for it sometimes are skew with because of sin, the, the brokenness that came into the garden. But Jesus came to restore this relationship. And in him, we have the full restoration of the complete enjoyment of what it means to be a human and in relationship. And if you're outside of that tonight, if you've never experienced the joy of coming into relationship with Jesus, of being united to the people here, well, won't you come? The king invites you to come. He comes and he seeks for people that will repent and believe and come into his family. And so he invites you to come. And for Christian, for you here tonight, what do we gotta do? We gotta open up our homes open up our tables, open up our diaries, and open up our lives as we live for Jesus and as we love Him here in this place.